I invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2 and then also be ready to turn to Acts chapter 1. So we're detouring from our uh, series in John this morning, but we are still talking about meeting Jesus, discovering more of who he is. Okay, Acts chapter 1, we'll read first. Starting from Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, and he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And now turn to First Peter chapter 2, reading verses 4 to 10. Peter writes, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priesthood. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced yes you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him but for those who reject him the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone and he is the stone that makes people stumble the rock that makes them fall they stumble because they do not obey God's word and so they meet the fate that was planned for them But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Amen. Wayne's going to come and speak to us. Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Jason. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Welcome to all the ladies who have joined us today, and I really hope you'll uh, take 
the opportunity, make sure you go and get yourself uh, one of those lovely gifts out there that are there for you. Um, great to celebrate. And men, I, I haven't checked the table either, but boy, I hope you've held up, I hope you've held up the standard. Like it's a high standard we've set, we've set the bar high. I did see some packets coming in. It's like, that's a desperate man. Uh, but, you know, it's like, guys, you know, this comes around every year. Like it's no surprise. So, you know, you know, older men teach the younger men. Remember? Okay, this is how we do things here. Um, so, hey, many of you know, like there's some real um, very challenging situations going on in the world. And uh, the church in Perth here has been engaged in, in praying for the, for the church in Myanmar with the things that they have been experiencing with the military coup. And uh, we were involved in that um, several weeks ago, but I know that many of you have continued to pray about that. And, of course, many of you are praying as, as about the situation in India and praying for God to have mercy on that nation and to uh, stem the virus. And um, just this morning, through one of the uh, pastor's chats that I'm part of, uh, just a couple of messages have come through. I want to share with you, uh, not, not so much the contents, but the sentiment of that, which was from uh, one from a, from a pastor in this city uh, who's been communicating with Christians in Myanmar and another one from a, uh, a pastor from India, again, in this city, but communicating and just saying the church in those nations are so encouraged that the church here is standing with them in prayer. You know, it's that wonderful thing, like, we, this is what we can do. Uh, it, it's like these, these situations are not beyond God, and so we do what we can, which is to stand before him as the king of the universe and to say, Lord, have mercy on these nations. And there's other situations, of course, around the world that we, we do engage and we say, Lord, have mercy on those situations. Strengthen your church in those nations where there is horrific circumstances and where people are persecuted and suffer greatly simply because they bear the name of Jesus. Let's pray right now. Father, we come and we do. We stand before you as that one. We sang earlier, Lord, that song, Waiting Here for You. We've come into your presence, God, to be with you, to lift our gaze up. And it's in the lifting up and the looking up that we, and we, we look up to you, God, and to say, Lord of all, creator of all life, let your son be revealed and let your son, by the power of your spirit, strengthen your church across the earth, particularly in Myanmar and India. Give them strength and encouragement. Father, we do ask that you will stretch out your hand and that you will do wondrous things, the things that Jesus did of healing the sick and raising the dead. We hear testimonies of these things from these places, Lord. And we know that you are faithful and just. You are righteous in all you do. Fill the believers, those ones who have, who have surrendered their lives to you, Lord Jesus. Fill them with your strength and your might. Fill them with your peace. 
and with a love that's deep and strong and strengthen them in love for one another. And Lord, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on the nation of India and other nations where this virus is running rampant. Have mercy, Lord, and stop the virus. Have mercy, O Lord, we pray. Amen. This is Ascension Sunday in terms of for us. Um, If you are following on and if you are part of a liturgical Protestant church, it would not be Ascension Sunday because it's too early because they will count Ascension the 50 days from the beginning of Easter, whereas we count it from Passover, which is actually the biblical way. Um, so that's not to denigrate what they're doing. It's just to say that's if you're tracking with friends and they're going, oh, Ascension, we're not up to that. It's like that's because of this, the way that we're following the biblical calendar and they're following another calendar. But the same thing is Jesus is being lifted up. And this today is Ascension Sunday and we're, we've got to say, we've got to look up, don't you? You've got to look up to see an Ascension. And when you come into this place... Uh, and we, we lift our gaze up to God, we, we focus on him and we, it shifts our perspective and awakens us out of, out of the world as we are experiencing it to the reality that there is a glorious king worth worshipping. And today I'm going to be talking to you about Jesus as the indestructible man. And it's not because I've been reading superhero comics or things like that. I've been reading the Bible. And I'm not sure if you know that the Bible actually says that Jesus is indestructible. And, um, that he prov- and the Bible also provides evidence to support that. And I want you to just stop and think. Have you ever thought of the implications of giving your loyalty to someone who truly cannot be destroyed? That's really what we're talking about. We're giving our lives and our loyalty to someone who literally cannot be destroyed. We sang about he's overcome, he's the one who overcomes, he's the one who's overcoming, he's the one who will overcome. He cannot be destroyed. Today we live in a connected world. It's possible to, be, to assume that we're connected to people all across the globe with 24-hour access. And that... Uh, through various means, we now can interact with prime ministers and uh, CEOs of the titans of industry, as they're called, and, and celebrities. And we can do all that via social media. We can, we can follow them on social media. We can post comments and they might reply. We can do all these things. Isn't it glorious to have access to these people? Maybe. The world in which we live in, now, didn't always used to be like this. The older I get, I find myself slipping into that mentality. I promised myself as a teenager things I'd never say. When I was young, when I was young, you know, there was a time before this. I try not to go there. But today, almost everything can be personalised. And so children are growing up, teenagers are growing up. You're growing up in this culture where you think... You can, you can have everything your way. You can, your, your music, you can stream your music. You don't have to listen to anyone else's music that you don't like because it's your music. And you can have your burger your way, not the prepackaged way, not the way everyone else has it. It can be your way. And you can have your phone in your colour and personalise it and do all these kind of things. And you can curate your TV stream so that you, you watch things that you want to watch. And even your education. 
perhaps not at this school, but you know, there are, I believe in other places you can, you know, you can, you can curate your own education. You can do all these things. You can have the world and, and on your terms and supposedly we're free to express our true selves. We can throw off all restraint. I mean, here I am, world, in all of my glory, bow at my feet, is this mantra that we live with. It's a bit of a parody, I know. I'm doing that deliberately. But we're told the message that keeps coming through over and over again, we can live life on my terms. I'm at the centre of the universe. I'm in total control. At the same time, there's a reality that's brewing over the world like a dark storm cloud. Because in this world where people are being told you're the centre of it all, you can have it all your way, this cloud grows of people hovering over them. The cloud hovers over people and we have got more people who are sad and anxious and depressed, more people who are more lonely even though they're surrounded by people, more people feeling overwhelmed by life. So how is it that in this place where I'm totally free, so many people feel like this, overwhelmed, sad, anxious, depressed. I want to suggest to you it's because we've lost the sight of Jesus. So today as we celebrate Jesus' ascension, Jason read to us from Luke's well-researched account in Luke chapter 1. And I want to say that Jesus' ascension is really important. And um, if, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I am loving the Pentecost readings booklet and the words in that and the pictures. I haven't started colouring in the pictures in my copy yet, but I'm loving the booklet and I'm so thankful for the team that's put that together. And if you're tracking with those readings, some of what I say this morning, you'll go, I know where Wayne got that. And you might be right. I might have got it from that booklet or maybe we collaborated, but we'll, I'll let you work that out. Because Jesus' ascension is only a few small sentences in the book of Acts. In fact, of all the four Gospels, how many of them actually mention Jesus' ascension? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. How many mention Jesus' ascension? How many? Four? Who votes for four? Who votes for three? Who votes for two? Who votes for one? Who votes for none? Who voted for one? Which one did you pick? I think you want to be reading Luke. Actually, Luke. Luke, because he writes two volumes. Remember, he writes Luke-Acts. It's, it's two volumes of the same thing. He mentions it in summary form at the end of Luke, and then he expands on it a little bit in Acts chapter 1. But he's the only one. So we can be uh, kind of surprised at it. And I need to say to you, I've not, um, I don't think I've, I have preached an Ascension Sunday message before. So this is a historic people. Okay, why is Jesus' ascension important? Uh, let's tell a little bit of the story. I want you to imagine that you were a Jew and you're living in Israel 2,000 years ago. The Roman Empire is your overlord, quickly crushing anyone who whispers against them, anyone that doesn't toe the acceptable social media line will get crushed. 
because they're evil. But in the midst of that, a new rabbi appears and hope begins to dawn. He's an inspiring man who does amazing things. And people are whispering and wondering about his identity as he moves around the, the country. And this hope begins to build and stir. Could this man be the one that the prophets foretold? Could he be that great deliverer of Israel? And then he comes into Jerusalem, the capital city. And there's this climactic parade and people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It looks like he is the king. He's the glorious one, the one we fix our hope on. And then a few days later, he's executed. He's displayed as a criminal, a criminal and killed. And so now people are sad and anxious and depressed. People who put their hope in this man are overwhelmed by sorrow because it's the end, because he's dead. But wait, there was a resurrection. He defeated death. Could he really be Is he just woken up from death? Perhaps he fell asleep. Perhaps someone went into the tomb and revived him. Perhaps the cold of the tomb revived him. Perhaps he didn't really die. All of those things, all of those theories were put forward. Perhaps someone stole the body. Perhaps all all of these things. But really, he appeared to people. He showed himself over 40 days. He appeared to multiple people at different times, in different places, confirming that he was truly alive, that he wasn't just resuscitated, that he was a resurrected man because he appeared in rooms where the doors were locked. But at the same time, he ate food, but it didn't fall through his body. So he's not a ghost, but he can walk through walls. And then at the end of those 40 days, this small group, he takes them out to Bethany, And there he speaks to them, leaving them final instructions. And then he ascends into the heavens and he's riding on a cloud and he disappears from sight. And they stand there. I can imagine why they stood there. And angels come and say, why are you staring? It's like, well, did you just, like Jesus was here and then he went up there. And now we can't see him and we're wondering, like, he went up on a cloud. Now, imagine you're a Jew. I said that at the beginning. You haven't forgotten that you're a Jew, have you? You're familiar with the Bible. Who in the Bible rides clouds, uses clouds as his means of transport? It is, of course, God. God's the only person in the Bible who rides clouds. So all of these things are are further confirmation that this man, has conquered death. This man who said, I am equal with God, he has proved it. He was the crucified one. He was the dead one. He was buried. Now he's resurrected. And now he has ascended on a cloud. He is a truly indestructible man. Because the angels there on the day, they say to the men who watched and the women who watched him go up, they said, in the same way that he's gone up, You're going to see him come back one day. He'll be returning soon. They're like, but you go into Jerusalem and wait. Samuel Whitfield said this, When Jesus died, he became the sacrifice that paid for our sin. We all know that bit of the story. But when he ascended, he became the high priest 
who enabled us to become priests. I'm going to unpack that more as we go along. The writer to the book of Hebrews says this, Jesus became the great king priest, not by meeting the physical requirement of belonging to the tribe of Levi, because we know. What tribe was Jesus of? Judah, not the tribe of Levi. He became the great king priest by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. Jesus is the indestructible man. I love it. I want you to think about that reality. I want you to fall at his feet and worship him this morning. Let's just quickly go through the story. God's continuing story. Genesis to Revelation. One continuous story. So first of all, we remember the Garden of Eden. What's going on in the Garden of Eden? I'm not going to give you opportunity to speak. We've got Adam and Eve. And what have they got? They've got, they're walking around in this garden in the region of Eden and they've got this access to God. They have face-to-face communication with God until that fateful day, fateful day that they eat, disobey, and they're, excommun- they're put out of the garden. So now they have, they've gone from having access to God's presence to now being excluded from God's direct presence. You see the picture. But God is committed to his purpose that people made in his image, his image barriers, that meant and designed to have access to him. They will do that. So we move the story on. Then he brings this group of people out of slavery in Egypt. He brings them to a mountain, Mount Sinai. He appears to them. This is Exodus 19 and 20. You can read it if you haven't already. And he appears to them and he says, what? Now, a lot of people get this bit wrong. They think that God said, you rotten, insignificant group of people, here's a whole bunch of laws I want you to obey, and if you pull that off, then I'll be happy with you. But he didn't say that. Read verses 4 to 6, Exodus 19. He said, you saw how I brought you to myself, how I have loved you, I have desired you. And I want to set you apart to be people, restored image bearers who have direct access to me. And therefore, I want you to display me to the world. You will have direct access to me and you will show the world what I'm like. That was Sinai. Now we fast forward. They didn't do too well with that assignment, by the way. Then we go forward and we come to the cross of Christ. The story continues because it's a continuous story. Now, what happens at the cross? Let's go to the next one. So we get the cross plus. Now, I've grouped these things together because they go together. The cross, the execution of Jesus, plus the torn curtain, plus the resurrection, plus the ascension leads to Acts 2. We're going to go into Acts 2 next week. Let's just take a couple of minutes here. The cross, Jesus is executed. When he dies, what's happened? There's a curtain that gets torn. You think, well, what's the big deal about a torn curtain? Okay, they need to redecorate. Okay, but you've got to go, where was that torn curtain? Oh, okay. It was in the temple. What was the curtain for? It was separating the holy of holies from the holy place. And people, when they would come into the temple, let me try to put it this way. Imagine, in the, in, if, again, we're, we're Jews. We've got access and we go into the temple court and we worship God. But we know that there's only a special group of people that get to go into the holy place. The priests, and they have to do that. But then there's behind the holy place, behind there's the curtain back here, right? Behind that, we never get to go behind that. Only one person, 
once a year, gets to go behind that. That's where the holy place is. The presence of the glory of God is there. And he only gets to go there once a year. And there's a whole process. We never see behind there because we're just ordinary folks. And the high priest only gets one go at it once a year, going, having that access to God's presence, to be with him. So when the curtain gets torn at the death of Jesus and when you link the cross, the resurrection, the torn curtain and the ascension together, you get something very dynamic has happened. There's a great shift that's happened because now this curtain, and for those of you that know anything about the, like the temple furnishings and everything, know that that curtain was like made of super thick material, you know, 10 centimetres thick. I can't remember the exact measurement. Super thick. So it doesn't tear on accident, Right. So for it to be turned from top to bottom and this way opened up, it's like it is an event that only God could pull off. No no human being is going to tear that curtain. It's an act of God to tear that curtain and to say, I'm making something new. Now, some of you who are familiar with some of the biblical language, you ought to be thinking new covenant right at this point. You ought to be thinking a whole lot of things. Let's go. So then we go into Acts 2. So there's this ordinary people, ordinary men and, pre- men and women from every ethnicity, language and tribe. They're now delighting in direct access to God through Christ and displaying God's mercy and goodness to others. You see, it's this royal priesthood thing. It's these priesthood things. You see, what God originally started in Eden, what he, what he advanced when he tried, with the people of Israel it, at Sinai, he's now kept working because his ultimate goal is men and women from every ethnicity having direct access to his presence through his son for his purposes to display his goodness. That's what he's after. So the ascension of Jesus confirms that there is an indestructible man in heaven. And you can see this. This is, this is why Jesus' favorite title of himself is from Daniel 7, as the son of man. It's not this, it's not, he's not saying, I'm a human. It's the technical term, and we've gone through this, and some of you are not familiar with it, but just to say it's a technical term used, and it's in Daniel 7, the Son of Man, there's a man in heaven who approaches the Eternal One and who receives glory and honor and power and dominion. Read it. Put the pieces together. This one is who he is, this indestructible man. You can look at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1 is a glorious chapter. You try to imagine what that looks like. Don't turn to it now. It'll distract you from what I'm saying. But read it when you go home. Read it to your kids. Get them to draw it. And do you know one of the things I believe that the rabbis forbid their students to read it themselves? Because they might come to some crazy conclusion that there's a man on the throne of heaven. Goodness me. Couldn't have that, could we? Revelation chapter 1 again. Beautiful imagery of this resurrected, glorious, ascended Christ that appears to John and speaks to him and says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. He is the indestructible one. And he's in heaven. 
And he's an eternal great high priest. Now, we haven't got time to go through this because it's a day-long seminar. But if you want it, but go home and read Hebrews. Start in chapter 4. You can start in chapter 1 and read all the way through. But Hebrews 4 to 10, the writer of that is unpacking. And what we need to remember is that as this is unfolding for those first disciples in Israel, they're kind of putting the pieces together as they move through the story. Right? So they've got to Ascension Day, and, and then later on, they're putting a thing together. How did this all change? How did we end up thinking that ordinary people could be a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for God? That's where Peter comes in. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10, we read that as well. So all of this, they're wrestling with what it means to have this one who was crucified, resurrected, ascended into the heavens. And what that has meant and what that's opened up. It's, he is this indestructible man. And so we find this royal, Christ has made us a royal priesthood. We are ordinary people. We are saints. We are holy ones. We have direct access to God. There is no curtain now that stops us from the presence of God because of Christ. We go through Christ, we don't go by ourselves, and we are meant to show God's goodness to others. Let's just have a little conversation about this. Ordinary people. We're ordinary people. But now we're this magnificent royal priesthood. Now... The Bible, the New Testament, doesn't use the word priest too often. It prefers other words. It uses this term royal priesthood. It refers to holy ones. It uses the word saints 60 times, if you're familiar with that in the, in the letters. To the saints, in the church, to the saints, to the saints. And I believe there's a reason they don't use the word priest, although that's what they mean, because priest means someone who has direct access to God, that's what a priest is. Someone who's directing. Because the Jewish priesthood at that time has become corrupt. Now we know all that from the time of Jesus. It's become given over and it's not doing what, it, what God set it up to do. It's become corrupt. And so I think part of what they do, they have to think of words and phrases that say the same thing. So they use the word saint. You are the saints of God, the holy ones of God, the set apart ones of God to display him. You are the ones who have direct access to God. You don't need to go through a human being. You go, well, you do go through a human being. It's the man Christ Jesus. Let me just make a little comment here. What does it mean for ordinary people to have direct access to God? A couple of things. It's important to understand this. Because it means you don't have to have special clothes. You have the title priest of God. It means no one can deny you access to God when you go through Christ. You don't have to come to me. To get access to God. We're not that. So anyone that's saying to you, you need to come to me, and there are, there are movements, obviously there are denominations, where they use the title priest for the professional clergy, and they say, you can only get to God if you come to me. I want to say politely, but categorically, that is unscriptural. It is not biblical. 
It is not why Jesus died. Jesus died to redeem people to God as a royal priesthood from every tribe and tongue and language. You have direct access to God. Um, so that's, we, have, we have streams in the body of Christ that have that. But there's a corresponding but different stream that has similar kind of language that says things like this. And this, unfortunately, is some of the Pentecostal charismatic stream that says, I'm the apostle of God. I will tell you. I'm the prophet of God. I will tell you. I will control your access to God. If you do what I say, you're on God's side. If you don't do what I say, people, that's manipulation. That's not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's able to say, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one that can say that. No human man, no human woman can say that to you. Whether they use the title apostle, prophet, priest, pastor, whatever they use, you don't buy into that. You remember, you lift your gaze up, you go, hang on, there's an ascended one. Jesus is his name. He is the one who gives me access to God. I don't need to put on fancy robes and wear my collar backwards to be a priest. Isn't that great and glorious? One of the things I want you to take away today, people, is that you are his priests. You are a priest. You have, because of Christ, direct access to God. And you are meant to display the goodness of God and the mercy and the kindness of God Everywhere you go, you're meant to carry his fragrance. Whether it's going into your schools, your universities, whatever your workplace is, wherever you are, you're meant to show others the goodness of God. Here's what I'm trying to say. We have access to God, direct, we are saints. If you are in Christ, which means you've surrendered your life, you've given your allegiance to Jesus, you're trusting in him to enable you to have access to God the Father, to make you right, to put you in right standing. There's a righteousness that comes from Christ. Okay, so you are someone who ministers, if you like, you minister to God, that's the vertical bit of that picture, and you see the cross with the arrow on top, can you see that? Am I blocking the screen? You can see that. So you have direct access to God. So we are meant to, if you minister to God, we're meant to worship Him. This is Psalm 27 4. This is, this is what I'm called to be. I'm created to do this. I'm created to gaze on the Lord and delight in His perfections. So, question for us all this morning is are we doing it? Are we, are we delighting in the Lord? Are we gazing on his perfections? Is that what we have learned to do to feed up and fuel our spirits? Have we go, we're brought into this privileged place with a torn curtain that we can enter in. Are we doing that? Are we valuing that access both privately and in corporate context as well? And then are we doing... The second part of that, which is then being sent from his presence to minister for him to other people. So first of all, we minister to him. We bring ourselves and we present ourselves to him. We say, here I am, Lord, to gaze on you, to give my love to you, my adoration and my devotion to you. 
And then I want to go from his presence and I want to go into the world. Because I'm now, have, if you like, why do I need, I need to do this every day? Many of you know that you need to do this every day. And why do we need to do that? Because we seem to leak. We seem to leak. I don't know what happens. You know, you get filled up with God one day, you know, and then actually in a couple of hours you're going to have leaked all out and you need to go back. You know, fill up again. It's like, you know, it's like your car. Maybe not, but anyway. Um, but we're meant to go out and give him, display his goodness, show people how kind and how merciful he is and how wonderful he is. Tell him that, that this one who has come is coming back. He's coming. The king is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the lamb that was slain, that one. So this is what we are meant to do. This is our indestructible man, what he's done for us. And the ascension reminds us of this reality. It reminds us that there was a cross. And at the moment of death, the curtain was torn. And something happened at that moment where God said, now I'm making a way for everyone to have access to me through my son. It's not about were you born in the right tribe. Now, Hebrews book unpacks this. It's not about, you see, you go, hey, I'm not, I'm not a Levite. I don't think we've got any people from the tribe of Levi amongst us today, have we? Uh, if you, please identify yourself if you're here. Love to meet you. Um, don't, uh, but we're not. So how am I? You see, this is one of the things I find myself, I was really immersed in this over the last couple of weeks. And I and I was like, how could I have actually missed some of this important inv- information? I've taken on board that I belong to a royal priesthood, but I hadn't really thought through the mechanisms of how all that happened and how it worked out. And you don't have to, but you have to say, there's this glorified man who's ascended, who's gone to the right hand of the Father, who's poured out his spirit. Now, the spirit is poured out on all flesh so that we all have equal access to God ourselves and we minister for him to other people. We show him them the goodness of God. So, Jesus is the indestructible man. Our restless culture relentlessly puts us at the center of the universe. And as I said at the beginning, it leaves people sad and anxious and depressed and overwhelmed by feelings of loneliness. And this morning, I hope as I've sought to exalt Jesus and talk about this, that the ascension of Jesus liberates us from the lie that we are the center. It announces to the world that at the center of the universe is this crucified, resurrected, ascended God-man, and his name is Jesus. And he is the living cornerstone. He's the central organizing reality. He is the controlling center of the cosmos. He is. Not me, not you, not our prime minister, not even coronavirus is at the controlling center of the universe. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, and you all know that, but... Lots of things are being organized around that. But we want to say, no, we want to organize our lives around Jesus as the great high priest who has restored access to God. We remind ourselves that before we surrendered to Jesus, we didn't have an identity. And I think this is people, 
you need to hear this. Like, people in our culture are desperately searching for an identity. They're looking for all kinds of ways to, to validate their lives. But ultimately, it's a search for identity. But to say to them, actually, you've got an identity. But you'll only find it through Jesus Christ. You'll only find the identity you're craving for on the inside through Jesus. He is the one. Because uh, we heard last week, he, he makes us, when we come to him, when we embrace him, as John said, John 1.12, he makes us sons and daughters. We're brought into the family of God. When we come to him as our great high priest, we find that he has made us a royal priesthood. I have an identity as a priest who has access to God and I minister to God in whatever my job is. All through the letters of the New Testament, Paul is at pains to explain to people of how this works out in their lives. So he says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In your work, do it for the glory of God. In your family, do it for the glory of God. Bring God into your family. Bring God into... You display God through the way that you work. So you work as if you're working for God because that's who you are working for. You don't look at, like, who's your employer and you're just wanting to please your employer. You go, I'm working for God. Which, by the way, doesn't make you a workaholic. Don't go down that rabbit hole, wormhole, whatever you want to call it. Anyway... You've got an identity. So whenever it's, you come in here, we come in here and we gather. And it's like, welcome to the weekly gathering of the royal priesthood of Jesus in the region. And then we scatter to function as the priests in the society. That's who we are. We're displaying him in all of that. So we gather and then we scatter in that way to display him, to show God's goodness to the people around about us, to tell the people that are looking for their identity that God is the answer, that Jesus is that one. Have you, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you accepted that he is your great high priest? And that through him you have this amazing direct access to the creator of the universe. Have you stopped pretending that you are the center of the universe? I invite you to pause and to pray with me, everybody. And for some of you here this morning, it's, it, just speak out with your, just close your eyes and Go ahead and just say, Jesus, today, I surrender my life completely to you. I want to start to live my life with you at the center of it. I want to learn to obey you in everything, and I want to learn to worship you. And for other people here this morning, it's this reality of you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, teach me what it means to be a member of your royal priesthood. Help me to to fulfill my function as a priest, both to stand before God and to delight myself in Him and gaze on His perfections and then to go from His presence. 
to display his goodness to the people around about wherever I am Jesus right that we worship you as that one who is the indestructible man I'm, st- I'm still captivated by that phrase Jesus you truly are the indestructible man that one triumphed over death ascended to the very center of the throne the truly exalted one over all creation Jesus you are who you claim to be who you said you were when you were here and you were ministering to people and you're that continuing reality that we are looking for and longing for and so we say Jesus thank you for coming and Jesus come soon Amen.